If we're familiar with C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, hopefully from books or films, a lot of us are, we may remember how, as the four children enter the magical world together eventually, they take shelter with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, who shelter them from the evil white witch who's pursuing them. And the beavers excitedly tell them that Aslan, who we may remember is an allegory of Jesus, is on the move, indeed may already have landed. He is the one who is going to overthrow evil. And so picture the the world of the Holy Land at the time that Jesus is born. The Jews are back in their land after the exile, but now they're occupied by Rome. Even worse, no prophet has spoken for over 400 years. God has been silent. And so, just as Narnia groans under oppression, Israel has groaned not only under occupation, but also spiritual darkness. As the carol says, long lay the world in sin and error pining. But suddenly the long wait is over. The aching silence is nearing its end. Jesus and John are announced and then they're born. And Mary and Zacharias, who is John the Baptist's father, speak inspired words in joy through the Holy Spirit. God is moving and speaking again at last. Shepherds rush into Bethlehem as angels proclaim the holy birth. Simeon, who has been told that he will not die till he sees Jesus, holds this precious child in his arms. Anna, the prophetess, speaks of him to whoever will listen. And so in Lewis's story, there are wonderful descriptions of how the children react to the news of Aslan. Edmund, who we may remember if we know the story, has turned traitor, feels a sensation of mysterious horror. If this was Star Wars, not Narnia, we might say he's gone over to the dark side of the force because the coming of Aslan means that he's chosen the wrong side. He's been corrupted. And even though, if you know the book, you'll know that Aslan ultimately redeems him as Jesus has redeemed us. At that point, he can only feel threatened. And so Matthew shows us, doesn't he, some people who react to Jesus like this. We see Herod and some of the chief priests and teachers. When in chapter 2, the Magi arrive and ask where this new king is, Herod is disturbed. He's a usurper who was set up by the Romans, supplanting a proper line of kings called the Hasmoneans, who the Jews revered as heroes. And so as well as being half an Edomite, a descendant of Esau who rejected his birthright, he's also a murderous tyrant who killed members of his own family and allegedly imprisoned members of the Jewish council to be executed on his death to ensure that someone would be sorry. A new king is not what he wants. In verses 5 and 6, the priests are able enough to quote Micah to tell Herod where Jesus will be born. But they do nothing. As J.C. Ryle writes about this passage, 
They show us that there may be knowledge of Scripture in the head, while there be no grace in the heart. So, are they scared of Herod? Do they feel threatened too? We know how the Pharisees will later react to Jesus. Do they just not grasp the significance, not see the need to respond to this, as many people don't today? If it's that important, I'll find out one day. I know this is true, but I can commit to it later. What will others think if I follow Jesus? Back in the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis also writes of the other children's reactions to the news of Aslan. Peter suddenly feels very brave. Susan has a sensation like a, a delicious smell. And Lucy has the feeling that you get on the first day of the holidays or the first day of summer. And so we have the Magi. We don't know exactly who they are, but most probably they were Persian Magi, pagan seers from Babylon, who've seen something that promises a great truth and come to seek after it. Who might perhaps have read in their historical records about a young Jewish exile named Daniel, who in his day was made chief of the Magi, who was miraculously delivered by God from certain death in a lion pit, and who spoke strange and wonderful prophecies. Some commentators think that because later in verse 16, Herod's command is to kill boys of two years old and under, this means that two years have passed since the nativity. That might be true, or it may be that Herod was just setting an arbitrary age. But if they did come from Persia, some commentators reckon it would have been a journey of about 1,400 miles. However long that took, it was more likely to have been on horseback than by camel, but it's still a huge journey. And they may also have been venturing into enemy territory as Israel is occupied by Rome and Rome and Persia had on-off conflicts going on. But none of this deters them because they know the significance of what they're seeking. Herod, the priests, the teachers of the law, none of them go to worship the newborn king, but Gandalf and Dumbledore do. And so later, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells us a parable. He tells us that the kingdom of God is like treasure hidden in a field. The man who finds it is so delighted that he goes, sells all that he has, buys the field. The Magi, even if they don't completely understand everything, know that here is somebody to be responded to like this in a way that Herod and the priests didn't. So here's the question then. Which of these reactions to Jesus is ours? Is he someone who we don't really want to encroach on our lives, that we don't really want to follow with our whole hearts? Or will we react to Jesus like the Magi did? Is he our king? who's worth every sacrifice? Are we still so captivated by this 
that we still follow in joy and gratitude and wonder. You deserve my every breath, for you've paid the great cost, giving up your life to death, even death on a cross. Because just as in the Narnia story, the children do get to see Aslan, and everyone sees Aslan's truth and power in the end, Revelation promises to us that, behold, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Likewise, Philippians tells us that because of what Jesus has done, God has exalted him to the highest place, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that he is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. As the Puritan writer Richard Baxter puts it, if a star should bring strangers from so far to behold him, how much more should his next appearing constrain all to acknowledge him? And so, just as the Magi sought his first coming with such joy, we can rejoice too as we wait for the second advent to come. Again, Richard Baxter writes, when the wise men saw the star that led to Christ, they rejoiced with exceeding joy, but I will shortly see him who is the bright and morning star. So the Magi, whether or not they understand everything, know that this is a great truth worth seeking. And the gifts that they bring to Jesus show us something of why he's worthy of all the efforts that they've made. Verse 10 tells us that when the Magi saw the star resting over the stable, they were full of joy, and when they found him, they worshipped. These men from a far-off land worship this baby in a stable, and they gave him gold incense or frankincense, and myrrh. And so these were gifts that you would give a king in those days, and as well as being very costly and practical gifts whose price would no doubt help the family survive, these were gifts that meant something. Jesus received gold because he was and is a king. But gold also stands for the faith and obedience to God that withstands trial. (coughs) And we know that Jesus, with his life, his death and resurrection, will obey God perfectly. First Peter, in speaking of trials and faith, says that these are so that the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Likewise, in Revelation, Jesus counsels a church that's wise in its own eyes to buy from me gold refined by fire, that you may be rich. And so this is the gold of Christ's perfect obedience, which in turn calls us to give God the gold of the offering of ourselves too in joyful service and in relationship because of all that he's done for us. 
As J.C. Ryle writes again, let us walk in the steps of the Magi's faith. Let us not be ashamed to believe in Jesus and confess him, though all around us remain faithless and unbelieving. Jesus receives frankincense because he's a high priest. As Hebrews chapter 4 tells us, he's our great high priest who has ascended to heaven. The reason why we hold firmly to our faith. Because he is not a priest who cannot empathise with our weakness, but one who's been tempted in every way that we are, yet did not sin. And perhaps it also shows us something of how God receives our prayers. Psalm 14 asks this, May my prayer be set before you like incense. And in Revelation chapter 8, John sees an angel from whose hand incense and the prayers of God's people go up before God. So not only does incense symbolise Christ's priesthood and the purity that he gives us, but it shows us and perhaps encourages us that however hard it is for us to pray sometimes, our prayers go before God like incense. Finally, he receives myrrh because he's a sacrifice. When Jesus died, Nicodemus brings myrrh and aloes to anoint him. And so, as we've said, these are gifts that you would give a king in the ancient world. And myrrh was also used to anoint a king. But these gifts show us too why Jesus was worthy of the worship that the Magi poured out on him, worthy of our worship too. Again, J.C. Ryle says this, Even as a child in a manger, his affliction is before him. He knows well what we mean when we tell him in prayer of our troubles. Let us therefore keep nothing back from him, but make him our bosom friend, because he has had great experience of affliction. Jesus has empathised with us. He's been through everything that we go through, and so we can trust him with everything that we go through too. And so all this shows us that Christ is worthy because by his perfect obedience to God, he did for us what we could not, buying us with the gold of his victory, so that as First Peter tells us, we're redeemed not with corruptible silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. He's our priest and sacrifice who's gone before us, who empathised with us in our fallen state, who redeemed us and now intercedes for us before God, even as our prayers go up before his throne like incense. And finally, he's also our sacrifice. And so, finally, in verse 12, the Magi demonstrate one more facet of God that comes from all this. And that is that he's the God whose voice, among all voices in this world, is the one we need to hear. Royal counsels us to keep nothing back from God, and we see God warn the Magi in a dream not to go back to Herod, and so they avoid him, even though we know that the king's revenge will demand a terrible price. 
And so, you know, they could have just thought, it's only a dream, it's nothing. Too scared, this is a bit weird. Herod is the king, we should be able to trust him. But they listened to God. God may not speak to us in dreams, but we're still called to hear him. When Jesus is baptised, God speaks from heaven, commands us to hear him. In chapter 10 of John's Gospel, Jesus declares that my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be opened, that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for we who believe. And so perhaps in counselling that we should resolve in this new year to be seeking God more in his word and in prayer, perhaps seeking his truth through discover courses or whatever it, if that's where we are, looking to dig deeper perhaps through other resources that this church offers or other resources known to yourselves. Why don't we be praying, open my eyes anew to the wonder of your incarnation, to your power, to your wisdom, to your inheritance. Give me the magi's determination and joy. Help me to hear you through your word and seek you. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And they worshipped him. We're going to stand together.